five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. We got a full compliment today, boys. Hey, everybody. Well, hi there. It is so nice to have the full team back together again. Together yeah. again. Da, 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 I'm sorry, that was a Muppet moment. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, the sad thing is I knew what you're talking about. <laughs> we need to do a Muppets podcast. I'm kidding. What do you mean by Muppets podcast? Like, what would we do? We talk about the Muppets. Okay. <laughs> We're going to okay. role play Muppets. We're going to role play the yeah. Muppets RPG. <laughs> All right. Moving right along. <laughs> moving right along. Dun, dun, dun. I, I'm going to be Dr. Teeth. Well, all right. So, for the record, uh, Dan said right before the podcast started, I'm too tired, guys. I don't know I'm if I can tired. make it. And here he is, like, flaming out on us. Probably just had a monster. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You got about six yeah. minutes left, and you're gonna. I'm gonna hit mute. You're near snoring. <laughs> oh, good times. All right. Well, today we are gonna talk about gaming terrain, uh, not necessarily for war games, because that's a whole different kit and caboodle. But we're talking about gaming terrain for RPGs or board games. What's good about it? What's bad about it? Do you need it? What does it do for you? All those questions and more will be answered later in the show. But first, how was your Geek Week? Dan, let's kick it off with you, buddy. All right. Well, I've you know I've reported on this many times. I really did finish my uh, World of Smog, my first two big sets. I painted about half of my minis for uh, World of Smog, Rise of Moloch. I'm really pleased with how they came out. I think they came out. First of all, they were a lot more difficult than my uh, Journeys in Middle-Earth. Yes. Um, mainly because each one of these characters had a, has a detailed character card with very subtle changes in, in coloring and character design. I was trying to be as faithful as I could without making too big of a mess. I learned I can't do checkerboard patterns on somebody. I'm not going to even attempt Ooh. it. That's so, hard with contrast. That's really hard with contrast. Well, even even just normal whatever. I can't yeah. do straight lines like that. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, it was a white and purple checkers. He'll be purple. Who cares? Nice. I like Move it. Move along. Fair. But uh, the thing that I did discover in this, right before I was finishing and before I sealed them, I got a bunch of uh, Army Painter paints in a uh because you know every time now when i order for miniature market to get to my threshold for free printing i'm just throwing in (laughs) extra paints and uh we've created a monster jason oh man four four bucks uh uh for fairy (laughs) dust which is a a white a white metallic oh and it just it took minis who on the the character art were emanating light because they had magic or they were possessed by magic, or they were floating, or, you know, spectral. And you paint them white, and they look white, 
and then you put fairy dust on them, and now they're picking up the light in the room. Oh, cool. Um, and so I used it for magic. I used it for some characters, and I'm really proud of how these came out. They look so much better than my last batch, which I was very proud of. In fact, my wife was looking at my photos of the last batch I did and went, you did that? <laughs> She's like, nice. you did that? Yeah, I did that. I did that. But the Rise of Moloch stuff has come out come out really great, and uh, the Army Painter and the contracts, uh, Contrast Paints were very helpful. And uh, the metallics from Army Painter are, are a good, are a really good, good deal. You can do some really fun stuff at relatively low cost. So, All right. Well, I'm going to say the necessary thing. Pick or it didn't happen. You need to throw some of those picks up on Facebook for us. What happened? What didn't happen? You, picks. you Look, picks or it didn't happen. Oh, bro. What I'm happen. doing is, is I'm going to photograph each mini next to the character card. Oh, cool. Oh, oh, good that's or a for, good idea. That's a for, good yeah. idea. It's probably not going to be that great because people will say, oh, well. We should post see. that on the website. The Dan's journey to a fully painted. That's right. Uh, or we got an Instagram smog. account. We can definitely throw it on the IG. I, I literally have like three. It's a hundred minis and they all have a character card. Not Some of them are, there's eight of one or, or six of one. But can, still, I mean, the character yeah. card wise, I'm up to at least 50. We can post it on the IG. We can link it from our website. We can make a. a a uh, still shot slideshow and post it on YouTube. How can there we reuse go. all of That's, this? There you um, go. Yeah, absolutely. Content. And and in the uh, background of the slideshow on YouTube will be Sarah McLaughlin's in the arms of an angel. <laughs> yes. There'll be a little tear coming yeah. down the exactly. Eye of, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. turned out really. Everyone, good. Dan spent some money. I spent some money. <laughs> you know, I I don't some... think. It wasn't as expensive as I thought it would be when I got into it. So uh, you can control your costs on paint. You can, yeah. But I get stubborn. Like, I start trying to use old paint pots that I should be throwing away. I'm like, I'm not buying another one of these. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, speaking of which, I did transfer all of my paint pots into eye drip uh, bottles. And I've got, um, you know, Army Painter ball bearings in there because their video convinced me. They're like, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. if you use our ball bearings, we put these in salt water and we put some generic ones in salt water. And look, the generic <laughs> ones are turning this bottle orange. I'm like, okay, I'll buy name brand. I'll buy name brand ball bearings. <laughs> so, um, but by the way, I accidentally, I only needed about 10 of these bottles. And they come in packs of 30. Oh. You know how when you're jumping in and out of face, uh, uh, Amazon too fast, you accidentally double buy something? Oh, so now I am swimming in eyedropper bottles. So if you guys need them, if <laughs> folks in our gaming group are listening and want some 15-milliliter eye, eyedropper bottles, I, I have a whole pack of 30 I haven't even opened yet. So anyway, they're good. Right on. Um, I also got the X-Wing Razor Crest, which is what the Mandalorian, Din Djarin flies. Mm-hmm. I've not done any list building around it but i'm um maybe i'm excited to fly scum again because um you know the, it's a really cool piece it, it does some new things that uh the, its predecessors um don't do the same way so i'm excited to uh fly the razor crest in x-wing i uh there's one thing that i need to ask you about that you didn't bring up in your um geek week this week. i purposely didn't bring it up i want to know about it. it this is this is a well uh, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to alienate our wonderful listeners. We have great <laughs> listeners. Keep coming back for content. And I got teeth firmly planted in my tongue. In so, two weeks, I'm going to need an update. There's going to be a... I, look, d- d- as of tonight, 
All I have is salty Dan on this subject. <laughs> I'm just very salty. Uh, long story short, I bought a Games Workshop product. It was my first Games Workshop product. And uh, very long story, very short, I'm struggling. Let's just say yeah. Dan is struggling. Beginning, middle, and three words. Dan is struggling. We should just have a build night. We do need one. We do need one, which um, which kind of leads me into my Geek Week, which I'm sorry, Dan, I'm going to take go over it. a little bit. Take it away. Uh, I need a build night because I just bought four sets of like Warcry-style terrain. Oh, baby. To build. And Is this to for put the tourney? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought GW was going to uh, sponsor gonna us. Pro- they're going <laughs> to provide some of it. But oh, okay. uh, in talking with uh, the organizer, uh, the overall organizer, James, um, he's like, yeah, you should bring like, if you've got 16 tables, you should bring eight tables of your own. And I had enough for five yeah. of my own that I could put out. Um, but I, I bought a bunch, so I've got enough for eight now. But yeah, let's that do it, dude. We'll get, our airbrushes. we'll get mm-hmm. our airbrushes, we'll build. I yeah. guess we'll build first, then we'll airbrush. Yeah, so we, we definitely need a build night because I've got so much terrain to build. And uh, and I think you've got models to build too, don't you, Jason? Um, I have an entire kill team box to build. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> From exactly. Christmas. That counts, exactly. that counts. That yes. Counts. So, yeah, so I got another box of that Sigmarite mausoleum, um, one which is like the Oh, I love the that crypts. thing. Oh, I know. So I got another box of that. I got another box that's similar to the original Warcry box. It's called the Azerite Ruins. And then I got um, two boxes of three more trees each. So I'm going to build some more of the trees. And, uh, yeah, and then I got one more box coming, which is um, called the Blasted Hallow Heartlands, and it looks like some cool terrain. It's like ruiny terrain stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have, like, eight tables of very different, very different tables, which I think is going to be kind of cool for the tournament yeah it's gonna be fun and speaking of tournament i'm just gonna make a quick plug if you are into warcry and you're in the northern virginia area we are having a warcry tournament event saturday june 4th at 1 p.m at huzzah hobbies up in leesburg uh it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be a prep for the nova open tournament so like if you don't know the game very well or you're you want to come out and just play it and see what it's like this is going to be a really fun event there are going to be prizes included and um you know which is going to be probably some um, gift cards to the store so it's going to be a lot of fun I, i'm really looking forward to it hey so did huzzah uh is huzzah hosting this for free uh yes no oh, that's awesome yeah so uh the way that it works is that basically you're like hey you know we want to host it as long as there's nobody else there they're like no problem how many tables do you need you know like what do you need da 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 and I'm, you know, I'm going to be collecting the money that goes into the prize money and stuff like that. And um, then because I am going to be getting store credit with it for the prize money that you could spend there, like that's kind of their payment. You know what I mean? Yeah, got it. So kind of, uh, but they're really helpful and very, very friendly. Well, that's not their first rodeo, right? They've been doing this for a long time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But um, like they're. Some game stores sometimes are like, I don't know. Yeah. And you're like, dude. Oh, well, then I won't be able to bring magic players in. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think they're very happy that to have Warcry come. I know that they've tried to do this like pre-pandemic, and it just it kind of fizzled out. Uh, so I think they're happy to hear that Warcry is coming back there. So pretty good. Um, sorry, that was a little plug. My last uh, Geek Week thing 
is um, I've been watching Moon Knight. Season finale is on Wednesday, May fourth, so which good. is which is coming out. I'm gonna be honest with you, Dan. I'm I'm not loving it that much. It got better, in my <laughs> opinion. It got better. No spoiler, no spoilers. Eh, um, yeah, uh, I mean, I it was good. Fourth, the, the fourth episode was good. The penultimate was episode. Yeah. The, was that fourth, fourth or fifth the, episode? The fourth or fifth. Uh, the, it's a six episode arc. The one that's yeah, right so before the last one. And I, I think the the fourth and the fifth are kind of companion episodes that kind of go together. Yeah. Um, it's it's much more psychological than superhero. Um, it's much more head games than it is, let's say, Winter Soldier and yeah. uh, and Falcon. So if you want Falcon Winter Soldier, it's there for you. It's great. This one is a little more, you know, what's going through this guy's head? Why is he motivated to do what he's doing? And what do Egyptians go, Egyptian gods have to do with all this? Those are all fair questions. I'm just going to say that um, I think that um, uh, what's his name? Poe Dameron. Um, Oscar <laughs> what's Isaac. His name? Yeah, Oscar took, Isaac. Thank you. Took me a while to, to get past Poe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's doing it. He's doing a really great job. Like he's a phenomenal actor actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that he, he's doing a great job. I just, I don't know if I'm loving, I don't know if I'm loving the Marvel series in general. Like, like, yeah. in, like all the series in general. Like, yeah, anyway. And that one is. That's, a, should, that's a story for another day. Maybe that's it, a different it, podcast. It's really Ma- important to not treat that one as an MCU chapter. Yes, it's yeah. part of the MCU, but he is not on contract to do, to shoot one minute after this thing air after mm. the sixth episode. Aired. I think a lot of people are seeing what the tie-in is, and if there's no tie-in, that's interesting. Uh, there's, there's, I don't think there's going to be any tie-in at all. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. So, anyway, I uh, just, good. Oh, I liked it. Give it just a go. sorry, uh, one more, one more little plug. I saw the Nicolas Cage movie, The Unbearable <laughs> Weight of, or In the, the theaters. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let me tell you, I thought it was hilarious and I loved it. I, I just was, it cracked me up. Like, um, uh, Pedro Pascal was phenomenal in it. Who is, I mean, obviously we know the Mandalorian, right? Yeah. yeah um, yeah, but yeah. he was phenomenal in it. And, and of course, Nicolas Cage was like pure Nicolas Cage. So it was like amazing. So <laughs> it was, it was, it was the unbearable weight of incredible talent, I think is the name of the movie. And, like, look, I'm giving it, like, three stars, but it was three very enjoyable stars as I watched it. So <laughs> It's still a Nick Cage movie. It's not, it is, it's exactly. It's not going to rock into the moon. And they, and they just, like, totally, like, hang a lantern on, like, Nick Cage and Hollywood ridiculousness and stuff like that. And it just is very entertaining. That's great. So, yeah, sorry. I took a lot of Geek Week stuff, but, I, I mean, there's some good stuff in there. It's all good. Yeah. Well, Jason, how are you doing, buddy? All right, man. My turn? Let's see. So uh, I have been traveling a lot lately, and when I got yeah. back, I was starting to geek out over uh, Age of Sigmar, so I I cleaned out my airbrush and Ooh, nice. uh, and and primed up my uh, Frost Lord on Stonehorn and uh, got it uh, pretty much almost all painted. I got the, the Stonehorn painted up completely, and um, I got the base, uh, the bases in the work, so I'm getting excited and getting back into the painting. It's been a long time since I've painted something significant. And yeah. this guy, um, I've been putting this guy off, and I find this happens a lot with the big guys. Like when I mm. ran the FEC Army, my second terror guys, like I had that guy on the shelf unpainted for a long time. Uh, like I would I would gear my lists around not only having one terror guys because I didn't want to paint the other one. 
Um, Although I remember you playing with the unpainted terror gas one time and completely forgetting that it was on the board. Yep, yep. That was uh, the gray. <laughs> I flew him into the middle of the table on top of a gray castle and then never moved him again for the entire game because I forgot he was there. <laughs> <laughs> and that, kids, is why we paint our models. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I painted my Frost Lord and Stonehorn, and it's uh, my, you know, they are. The name implies, you know, they come from, you know, like a, an icy north and such. But my, my ogre theme is different. You can obviously do whatever you want. So mine is they're coming down from the uh, the grasslands and the hills. Uh, so mine has a nice kind of warm color texture to it. And, uh, you know, so it's got like an orangish, a dark orangish fur um, and a nice uh, stark bony texture to it versus kind of the ice and the white uh, fur that... Uh, I'm happy with it so far. I don't know if I'm 100% sold, but I'm going to put it on the table, see what it looks like, see how I feel about it. Cool. Yeah. The other thing thing, uh, for my Geek Week is my daughter, and this is kind of a call out to my daughter. My daughter, and actually Dan's daughter, was in a local high school play, The Little Shop of Horrors, which I think was a great production. It was super entertaining, way more entertaining than Little Women. (laughs) That's just me. Suddenly, just, just me. Yeah. So it's funny. I was driving home in the car with my other daughter, and I was like, "I just want to say that was way more entertaining to watch than when they did Little Women." And my daughter goes, "Yeah, but I said no, no buts, no buts. It was way more entertaining than watching Little Women." She was like, "Oh yeah, I guess you're right. Different thing." Anyway, so this is interesting. I'm gonna do a call it to my daughter here. So the uh, there are four showings. Sunday was the the final one, a, a matinee showing. Saturday night, uh, when it's over, the or- the pit director, which is the orchestra teacher for the school. And she's um, the head got, of theater tech there, so she's doing yeah. light and sound as well. Yeah, got sick and had to um, not make the next showing on uh, on Sunday. So oh, she, no. but my daughter, who's a senior now, has, you know, very tightly intertwined with orchestra um, basically got a hold of her and the orchestra uh, lady, um, won't say her name, but she basically at 2.30 in the morning walked through the music with my daughter and my daughter took the baton and conducted the pit and the orchestra for the entire production. No uh, way. This is a senior in high school yeah. that, that conducted a pit, which is a, mix of, which is a mix of students and professionals, hired professionals. Yeah. In this production, so I was really proud of my daughter. She did really good. That's it was awesome. a a great performance. The the kids, all the kids that acted and put this put this thing together, just did a, a great job. You you get to this thing, it, it renews your faith in high school kids. You're like, okay, they can do they can do something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because I see a lot of things where I'm like, I'm losing the faith. I'm losing. Yeah. The faith <laughs> yeah, my my wife was in the audience for that show, and she uh, and she's that was the second time she saw the show, and she really raved about how well your daughter did. She did a really great job, considering all the circumstances. Yeah, uh, yeah, she really hit it out of the park. So, uh, yeah, yeah, your daughter was, too. Well, thanks, thanks, mine. <laughs> Mine got her role reduced when she sprained her ankle right after uh, the auditions. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. that's. <laughs> she was walking around in a big boot because she had this really deep, bad sprain that lasted for months. Mm. So, uh, But she ended up dancing anyway. It was, it was a good show. The great thing about that particular is they happened to have one kid in high school who was in theater, who could sing, and was a dead ringer for Rick Moranis. 
Oh, that's amazing. Uh, so it's like yep. if you aged Mick, Rick Moranis back in time uh, to uh, to eleventh, tenth, eleventh grade, that's what this guy looks like. I yeah. almost wonder if the theater person's like, like watched him like walk into the class and it's like, we're doing there a little is. shop yeah, before. Now we is. know what show we're doing. We have yeah. to. We have yeah. to. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that was my good, good, good times. Good times. Awesome. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, I love our Geek Weeks. We have like great Geek Weeks. I wish I had more time for Geek Week, <laughs> like to do Geek Week stuff. Yeah, you know, cram so. it in when you can. Yeah, I think uh, I think our next segment's up. Welcome to Tabletop and Beyond News. <laughs> that was a little subdued this time. I liked it. I'm just, I'm trying, I'm going to do every angle. When we, when we do 360 episodes, I will have done every angle on that thing. Okay. Okay. We're not going to go too deep into the news, but for you Gen Con fans, the event catalog is up. Registration for Gen Con 22 Indianapolis is available right now. And registration is coming up on the 15th of May. So, Buckle up, people. Figure out what you want. If you're okay. going to the big, if you're going to the big dance, it's time to figure out what you want to do. Yeah, I, this is this is always a fun time of the year, right? Because everyone gets excited. They put into their queue, and then when that time hits, everyone just sits there and smashes that button on the website, over and then you watch, and, and then you just watch the ticker load. It's yeah. exciting for some of us, <laughs> and then. It, and then it pops, and it's usually like, you didn't get in anything you wanted. <laughs> I remember going to my, my little sister became a doctor. She became a pharmacist. And I was outside with my little laptop, my little Chromebook, and my wireless hotspot trying to register for Gen Con. And as soon as I was like, I got to get registered before this thing starts because I'm not going to have any service. This was like five years ago. You know, we didn't have 5G, clearly. And yeah. um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to get in anything if I go and sit down and watch my little sister graduate to become a doctor. My priority right. was Gen Con. Yes, sir. Not proud of it. Not proud of it. Yeah, I've kind been of definitely are. sat in uh, many a uh, church Sunday school trying to buy <laughs> event tickets to Gen Con. <laughs> Your wife's leaning over, looking at you like, "What are you what doing?" Are you doing? You're like, I can't load my scriptures. Don't look at me. <laughs> Uh, uh, I gotta use the restroom. I'll be right back. It's like a bunch of guys out in the hall by the right. water fountain in church. Like, all right, did you get in? Like, dude, the church Wi-Fi doesn't let us get onto this site. No, let's go. Where's the tower? Walk Dan's got a hot tower. Walk towards the tower. Yeah. All right. Our next Good piece stuff. of news I chose because it's directly related to our topic. Gale Force Nine announced they're taking over the distribution and manufacture of Tenfold Dungeon Room from Room Seventeen and are releasing. The product retail, uh, it features no prep terrain made of nesting cardstock boxes that pack together in a tight, lightweight system that allows for setup of dungeons in moments. It can be stored away for easy transport. Four versions will be available at launch. The castle, the temple, the town, and dungeons and sewers available for $60 each. Interesting. So if you want quick fold terrain that fits in a backpack, 
which for Gen Con can be very, very useful. Very Who cool. wants to yeah. walk around with a whole lot of terrain? Yeah. When you're going from event to event, you can just fold it down, put it in your old backpack, and then when it's time to to uh, put it on the table, put it on the table. Very good. I've got two little bits of news, if you don't Are mind. Are they about Games Workshop? One is. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. One is. Uh, I'm actually going to start. Yeah, I'll start with that one. So uh, the big news out of the game, the Warhammer Age of Sigmar world over the last week has been the releases, um, the leaks that have come out uh, for the Slaves to Darkness book that is um, a Slaves to Darkness book and the Night Hunt book. Uh, the Night Hunt book is uh, supposed to drop in spring, so we were kind of assuming late May, maybe early June, as that is still technically uh, spring. Uh, but when the Slaves to Darkness book dropped, it kind of forced Games Workshop hand, and they showed uh, a new updated timeline for their books, and Slaves to Darkness isn't supposed to drop until December of this year. And so they had like six books planned in between now and then. And so um, it was very clear that some of the playtesters that are out there um, have been dropping things that they shouldn't have. They've been violating, obviously, their NDAs. And uh, the entire Night Hunt book is now up on, like, Im- Im- Imger or Imger? What is it, guys? Mm, Imger? Yeah, yeah whatever. Um, it's up on Imger, and, uh, like, you can read the entire thing now. And uh, the Slaves to Darkness book like had a, a bunch of stuff that was released, not the whole book. But I, it's clear that Games Workshop was not happy with these leaks, and they, they were forced to pivot, right? Because they have their whole marketing setup planned and release dates and weeks and you know previews and all this stuff. And, um, man, they had to pivot badly to try to respond to this and put a positive spin on it like, hey, so you guys just saw the book. <laughs> that you know, undermines like, sales of existing product lines. So well, they, they so lose money. It there's can, no way, yeah, there's 100%. no way a leak helps you make money because if uh, somebody says, "Oh, that's the thing I'm going to buy," and they would have bought something that's available yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. Like now, it like they can just like look at it on the internet and and check that out. I, I will say that a lot of the pictures are done with potato cameras, and it's kind of hard to read all the text. Hundred percent, you know. Yeah. Um. And I will say that from what I saw, especially for the Night Hunt book, it looks like a really good book coming out. So I think those players that were going to buy it are are now really excited to buy it. So I think I think they were Games Workshop was lucky that that Night Hunt book was what it was when it leaked. Because if it was a bad book, then they would have massively lost sales. People would have said, oh, "I'm not going to play this after all," you know. Um, so. Yeah, kind of that. That was like big, uh, big news last week, coming out with all the leaks. It was pretty crazy. Uh, the second is kind of an announcement for us. We were able to uh, contact Free League Publishing, who is the publisher of the One Ring. Uh, they also do the Aliens RPG. They have the Tales from the Loop RPG that we have uh, reported on on our podcast and they are also responsible for publishing the upcoming uh kickstarter backed uh uh blade runner rpg that's coming up well um i i was able to contact them and said hey 
We just did an episode on aliens. We love, um, you know, the one ring. We love all this other stuff. And um, we would love to do reviews for you. And they sent us almost their entire catalog to um, t- play test and give reviews on. So I'm very excited about that. Like, mm-hmm. it just is showing that, um, you know, if, if we're interested in giving you guys, our audience, you know, our takes on some of these, some of these uh, kind of indie RPGs out there, that uh, you know these publishers are willing to let us test them out and and give our thoughts on them. So I'm excited to try them out, and uh, hopefully we'll get some interviews with some of the designers and writers and stuff like that on here as well. Yeah, we we literally have a year's worth of content now to work through, which is exciting, yeah. yep. and access to the creators, which will be news new for our podcast. So it'll be great. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um... How we're going to tackle this? <laughs> so we're not going to have a meeting on the show. Take a breath, Jason. Yeah. Take a breath. Yeah. Turn off your logistics brain and just go. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Let's get great. into the main topic. Although, Jason, Jason, just really quickly, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm, hold on one second. Uh, Jason, did you see that Vastin RPG on there? It's the Scandinavian horror <laughs> RPG. I have seen that before, yes. I said, Jason, this is yours. You should yes, run a session for Yes, I will us. take that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll also take the Morkborg, that one. Oh, cool. That'll Do I take Alien, one. too? Yeah, you know what? Um, <laughs> let, we're, we're not going to have a sh- meeting on the show. I know, I know. But, uh, <laughs> we're gonna give I'm more excited, though. Folks, we're, excited. we're just going to give them all to Jason, and now we know who's in charge. All right, moving uh. around. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good. This is going to be cool. I'm I'm really excited about this because, um, especially since our gaming group is sort of shifting to doing this, uh, well, we're we're going to be playing a Star Wars West Marches RPG campaign, and because of that, I think it's going to allow us a little bit of flexibility to kind of play test some of these RPGs in the cracks, yes. right? So I'm I'm really excited about that. Yeah. yeah so next fun. Geek Week, instead of reporting out on my adventures with Games Workshop, we're going to talk about Star Wars West Marches. That's not true, Dan. We're going to talk about your adventures with Games Workshop. Oh, it's going to happen. You're going to have to pull. You're going to have to pull me out of the de- <laughs> the depths of despair. <laughs> we can do it. All right. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Let's get to our main topic. Thank you for the news, Dan. We appreciate it. Always good stuff. Uh, so, as we were talking about our our topic today, what what we're thinking about, um, we had the idea of talking about gaming terrain. And obviously when you're playing like a war game or a skirmish game, terrain is kind of a key. It's a must. So you're not just playing on a, uh, you know, totally flat, you know, chessboard type of game. Um, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're not, we're, we're not getting into the war game stuff because obviously that has its kind of own brand of terrain and, and things that you need. And, and, and rules and stuff like that. Yeah. What we're, what we're talking about now is like using actual terrain stuff in your RPGs and or board games. And so like, for example, um, like a dungeon for uh, uh, a Dwarven Forge uh, set of tiles or uh, Jason, what was that? Um, the Hirsch uh, molding stuff, right? That you could make is like little villages if you wanted to do for like RPGs and things like that. Right. Um. I think those, uh, those, yeah, hurts hurts arts the dental hurts stone arts, mold, yeah, the dental molding. Stone, yep. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's plenty of terrain stuff out there that uh, that you can do, and we'll talk about some of that. But we want to talk about some some of the pros and cons of like having gaming terrain. So um, let's jump uh, let's jump into the pros. Like uh, if you're playing an RPG, Dan, 
why would you want to have gaming terrain on the board? I use terrain all the time because I own a lot of minis and I like doing combats with minis and I have generated my own terrain. I bought terrain and people have 3D printed terrain and given it to me as gifts. So I am coming. I have a, I have a pretty great library. I also have a great library two dimensional maps that I've, I've used to death, but I keep going back to the 3D terrain. I like, I like miniatures as a storytelling device. It really helps um, folks reference scale, even if all the miniatures don't match like the right set, even if they're a little off brand, people can get a feel for what's happening. Um, It's harder in a hybrid game situation where you have a camera pointed down at the mini thing. Um, In person, your your eyes naturally have the, the 3D capability if you have two eyes and um you can get a feel for how the flow of the story is is being depicted visually um and 3d is awesome by the way um miniatures moving up and down um enemies taking uh high ground and low ground and and um anytime you can break away from the the two-dimensional world it's it's great you know you're not you don't you're not doing pogs on a map if you've got a 3d plastic mini there's no reason why you shouldn't even you shouldn't examine the possibility of, of of investing in at least some kind of 3D terrain, whether it be paper or plastic, or cardboard or plastic. Those are I, some of my reasons. Yeah, I think that they're great. They're all great reasons. And my biggest thing is immersion, right? It's when you put it there on the table, it just helps you enter that little world that's in front of you. And really feel like you're playing that. Like, what did we play? Uh, I played uh, Escape the Dark Tower. No, not Escape the Dark Tower. That's Escape the Dark Sector. Uh, Return to the Dark Tower. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, and that, you know, the terrain has a big impact on the gameplay. It actually participates in the gameplay. It's got, like, a little mechanism for dropping skulls out all over the game field and stuff. But uh, it gives you a very strong sense of scale, like you were saying, Dan. Um you know that the size of that tower, and then the minis that move around the tower. You can just picture yourself, you know, really in this in this land, looking up at this like you know enormous tower farther up than the eye can see that's dominating the world around you. It just really helps with immersion, in my opinion. Yeah, and sometimes in a theater of the mind situation, which is great, theater of the mind can be very very powerful because it can be very compelling for each individual person. But mm-hmm, when you have true. a 3D map, you can get everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. It's in a, true. In a way, in a way, you kind of, it, otherwise maybe somebody's like, "Oh, I thought that we were actually doing this, but we're, I, in fact, we were doing that." And and right. s- some of those ambiguities get ironed out um, in the 3D space. I mean, I'm kind of addicted to it. I built a RPG table specifically to have a a large mini well in it. So I'm <laughs> right. kind, I'm kind of like. The wrong person to ask for the cons because I keep going back to it over and over and over again. Yeah, um, and one of the things that I like about it is the I can the NPCs move logically and think logically, right? They can you can say, well, why do you keep attacking me? And I'm like, well, you're standing right out there, and you're mm-hmm. dangerous. You're yeah. obviously mm-hmm. in this battle. Nobody's going to try to spread damage to the guy hiding in the back. They're going after the guy who's walking point. Yeah. Um, and that, in a theater of the mind situation where you're like, oh, well, so-and-so hasn't taken a hit. I should eat, chew up some of their hit points. Maybe 
you would distribute it in a, in a less, you know, logical way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we, our last episode, Dan was about fudging, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, Oh, okay. The bad guy's going to go after that guy. Now, um, sometimes having that gaming terrain doesn't allow you to do that because it's like, uh, that bad guy can't see that guy, you know? So it's not even an option. Um, and, and, uh, I can tell you in our current rhyme of the Fa- frost maiden RPG campaign, right? We do, um, we have it over zoom. We have a basic map on the thing, but it's not a combat map Mm -hmm. in a sense, right? Like it doesn't get down to that level of detail. And so there have been several instances where I say, okay, this guy swings at you and hits you for this. And, you know, the player's like, I was standing over there. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I forgot about it. Well, he ran over to you and did it. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so. For RPGs, I found that as soon as we got out of measuring, measuring distances life got easier i know people love playing on grids and and uh hex maps and those are great you know i like them too i mean i have a grid on my whiteboard if we wanted to like do a battle i could do a grid up but anyway when i'm doing a miniature battle in the well there are people go well how how far can i move i'm like uh it's probably the distance from the palm of your hand the bottom of the palm of your hand to the tip of your finger give or take you know, I like, unless yeah. the rule set says you have to move X number of feet or X number of inches, and there's lots of game systems that do that. I like the yeah. ability to just kind of tell a story and have it be kind of messy. Um, you know, oh, hey, what's long range? Well, it's a cubit. It's from the end of your elbow to the, to, to the tip of your finger. I mean, that's long range. Right, right. Um, and that ha- that has actually made games more fun because it gives players just a little bit of an edge because they're like I think I could get a little bit closer other games that we played in the past that were a lot like D&D 4th edition you had to count squares the game was existed on a grid your yeah. powers and your abilities were based on what you could do on that grid and you would say well can you hit that guy it's like we'll count the squares and you can hit him if you can hit him this is a you know, 3D terrain gives you a little bit more wiggle room, you know. And it's fun right. to put your eye down there and get line of sight and say, oh, I don't think you can get that guy because I see this. there's this wall in the way. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, I uh, look, we played our the Klingon game um, at GuildCon last year, mm-hmm. and you had little Klingon minis, Yeah, and you had a little bit of terrain that was on there. I think there were just little boxes and stuff like that. Yep. but Nothing you too know, complex. They, it it uh, represented a ship at one point, right? That we were kind of like checking out, yeah, and, based, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, you know, and uh, we were kind of like walking around, and uh, it was nice because we could get a little tactical, right? We could like climb up on the ship, or we could like use the use the corner for cover, uh, and you just it's hard to do that in theater of the mind. It's hard to do that on a battle mat, right? Uh, Jason, we, we for years played with my battle mat when we did Shadow of the Demon Lord. And, like, it would work. It worked fine in terms of, like, being able to be flexible and, like, okay, I'm going to draw a little, like, uh, little little grove of trees that you guys had a little random encounter in, right? And and uh, you guys would put your minis on there and we'd use it to measure distances and stuff like that. And it worked fine. Um, like, it, it definitely helped having um, distances and locations and people in certain spots so you knew, like, who was fighting who. Uh, but like, it definitely wasn't as immersive ha- just having the, the, the battle mat. Don't you think? I agree. I think, and 
my number one thing that terrain brings to the table is immersion. I think in terms of being able to do the other things such as bound movement, uh, provide line of sight, um, provide rules if it has rules, you can do all of that with 2D drawings on a thing. It's really the yeah. the 3D adds the immersive feel to help bring your imagination in there. Now me, you get I mean I've talked about this before. I am a heavy theater of a mind in my mm-hmm. RPGs. Like mm-hmm. I, I absolutely prefer theater of the mind over um over minis. I don't mind minis and I enjoy minis, but when I DM I always prefer theater of the mind. But I really enjoy a good terrain setting when I walk in and I see, you know, the little you know, <clears throat> the little uh, uh scaled buildings and uh, farmlands and just everything. Um, it helps to paint the picture. And I think what you said earlier, Dan, it helps unify everybody's view of the scenario that's in front of them. And that can be really helpful when you have a, a group maybe that's less experienced to right. help paint the picture for them. Yeah. And sometimes for battle mats, I, I've never bought a vinyl mat that has a grid on it that I would whiteboard out stuff. I know a lot of folks swear by those. What I did when I was doing two dimension is I would buy pre-printed maps. There's lots of them out there. My favorites, my favorite all-time maps, bar none, is Maps of Mastery. Yeah, I love those maps. Um, maps of Mastery. I know the artist. He's 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 a published artist in the game community, and he's really great. Mapsofmastery.com. Check it out. Um, but what I would use those for, for the immersion pieces, I would say everything you see on this map, it's there. So if you see that somebody has left like a cup of coffee on a table, you can pick up that cup and throw it. Mm-hmm. Or there's that thing in your way. you got to jump it. Right. Um, and that's kind of like... Getting into 3D terrain, terrain can be kind of steep, which is kind of like the kind of the cons because we've talked about the pros, but the cons are there's a, a little bit more investment and it's harder and what you have is, for lack of a better term, you know, rigid. You can't store an infinite number of terrain. I can have a library of maps take up the same space as, as a big dictionary on my shelf. But that same space would only give me a very limited three-dimensional storage capability. That's been my number one problem is effective storage mm-hmm. of all the different kinds of 3D terrain which I have. I've got cardboard. I've got some amazing 3D printed. Jim, who's in our gaming group, printed um, for my birthday some gorgeous Star Wars terrain. And he painted it. And they're interchangeable and interlockable. And they're so great. I had another friend, you know, get me some unprinted, 3D printed, some unpainted terrain, and I got to paint it and make it cool and all that stuff. So I love that stuff. I just, you know, I'm running out of space for crap like that. Um, and every time I want to do a new adventure, my players in an ongoing campaign have seen my stuff over and over again, right? So it better be configurable and unique. And the more times they see the same train over and over again, the less of a of an immersion they get from it. So that's kind of a con. Um, and it's kind of clumsy, right? Getting set up, you know, you're trying to keep the flow of the story going. You're like, okay, everybody stop. I'm going to set this thing up. Um, if you pre-set it up and it's a big train piece and it's a big show piece, it's also a gigantic spoiler. And, <laughs> and if your players decide not to find that terrain piece 
and you kind of force it down their throats because it's like, I built this damn thing. Sure, you're going it's, down that you're, path. You're kind yeah. of railroading just a little bit. So that's a con you got to think about. So you, you, if if you're willing to sand, if you're going to sandbox RPG, um, you know, and your players never go to your awesome terrain that maybe you spent real money on and painted or 3D printed or whatever, sometimes you have to take a take a little slice of humble pie and say, okay, well, we didn't do that this time. Maybe next time it'll, it'll come into play. So let, let, let me jump on that real quick. So, you know, a, a con is, you know, obviously the space it takes to store terrain and the cost mm-hmm. to build it. I think, I think we can expand this to say, and we've been doing it a little bit, is that terrain doesn't have to be 3D to provide immersion, right? The, for yeah. example, your battle mats, like you said, your yeah. example there, you see the coffee cup, the coffee cup's there, right? It's giving players a visualization and a, bound, a boundaries in the world that they can, uh, they have to operate in that makes the world a little more real, right? Uh, and so, you know, having a battle mat, having um, <clears throat> a 2D picture or printout. In fact, I've seen, you know, and everybody has probably seen these. They've gone to conventions. You can buy those like... Uh, uh, like mouse pad neoprene terrains mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that look mm-hmm. just quick terrains you can keep in your backpack and you can throw on the table and say look there's a river look there's a mountain look there's a house and it's just it's easy to put down it helps players visualize um and it doesn't have to be this giant you know 3d thing that takes mm-hmm. up space that's impossible to transport if you go to your buddy's house yeah yeah i agree and um you know i think the Dan, you touched on the rigidity of it, right? Like, you can't. <laughs> the first time I, I did, I got my. Well, <laughs> I'm all over the place right now. <laughs> all right. So, I got my 3D printer for Christmas um, a few years ago, right? And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be amazing. I, I found Dragonlock Tiles, which is a modular terrain system right you just print out a bunch of tiles which are floor tiles or wall tiles or door tiles or whatever you just print out a bunch and you can lock them all together and configure them however you want right uh i printed out a ton of these right and i did a whole map on a uh basically dungeon terrain builder right where i could like map out okay like i I was doing a sewer system Mm -hmm. all right i want to like have this junction and there's a dead end here and there's an encounter that's going to be up there and like this is the way out and stuff like that and i mapped out this whole thing and it said you're going to need 700 tiles (laughs) oh my gosh i can print i can print maybe like 10 in a day yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is gonna take me like 70 days. And how many spools of? And how many spools yeah. of stuff? And I'm like, kind of doing the. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and well. what happens if the players say, you know what, we're not gonna go in the sewer? Exactly. <laughs> Sewer's exactly. A bad idea. You know. Yeah. And I mean, I think the way that I had set it up in the game is that that was the that was the session right after you guys had, um, uh, got put in prison, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, let's talk about railroading a little bit. Yep, um, that was a fun episode. <laughs> I, you guys got put in prison, and you were able to break out. You know the next the next episode, but the way out was dun dun dun, dun through the sewer. Like that was the way That's out. The only way out. Right. So that you're was the in only the terrain way. now. So you're in the terrain now, right? And um, 
I had it set up, and the problem was, is again, I didn't want to spoil it. I didn't want to like lay out the whole thing so they could see where the exit was, because they yeah. just beeline it for the exit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I tried to chunk it out to where it was like, okay, well, like obviously at this junction you can see to the next junction, but you can't see left or right because you only see straight right now, right? Yeah, fog and of tried to... fog of war and real line of sight. If it's going to affect the game, is tougher to do on 3d if you if it's a yeah a pre pre even any 2d map you just get a lot of blank pieces of paper and start throwing it down saying you can't see right. that and uh, a lot, yeah. little harder to do in 3d space and so i chunked it out to where i was like okay well like you know this is like section a section b section c section d you know and i had them stored in a different location in the room and, you know, people couldn't really, like, they could see that it was there, but it's hard to put, like, it to get a map together when they're all kind of stacked up, right? Um, and when they get to the junction, they look down, and I'm like, okay, hold on. And then I'd go get it, and I'd, like, try to hook it in, but it wasn't hooking in right. And I was, like, taking the minute to, like, you know, some pieces kind of fell off, so I got to adjust them. And, like, by the end of the night, I think we had a good time with those sewer tiles. Jason, I don't know if you what your impression was of it. It was fun. Yeah. Um, it was cool, and I think it was immersive, and it was a lot of fun. But I got done thinking, like, this was a lot of work for, in my opinion, a little bit of return. Yeah. You know, you have, like, to, I, you have to watch the the investment to return benefit. Yeah. I yeah. remember thinking, oh, well, I hope we go through some more sewers so <laughs> right. we can use this again. <laughs> and we never did. We never nope. did. And, I mean, I still got a box. I still got a, a, a big old Amazon box that's full of sewer terrain tiles, right? And not all of them got painted because I didn't have enough time to get them painted before the thing. And um, they were okay. But, like, look, you know, it was just – it was a lot of work to get those 3D tiles put out. Um, was it cool? Yeah. Like, it, it, it was awesome. I, um, I feel like – if you're going to do like a 3D, a big 3D terrain, like a Dwarven Forge, I think is a great example of this. Dwarven Forge is very expensive too. Oh, right. Sure. Like it is not, it is not cheap to get their stuff, but it looks absolutely amazing. Like you can put LED lights in it. You can have like do doors that open and close and you can have something amazing, but gosh darn it. You're like, it had better be a giant dungeon that your players are going to be playing in for a while for you to feel like you're going to get bang for that mm -hmm. buck. You know, like if I were to do a Dwarven Forge, it would be for the D and D game. The like, um, the, what is it? The sunless Citadel, you know, where it yeah. is a dungeon crawler with a very mm -hmm. set map. You know what I well, mean? And, and I'd be like, and D and D lends itself to the 3d train better than any other game. Cause the dungeon yeah. crawl is part of the mythos. Right. And so you're like, hey, guys, you're playing D&D, &D and you're in a dungeon. That's where one of the Ds comes from. Um, well, and, and I think, too, like, it's easy to say, like, especially for that, like, Sunless Citadel game, like, hey, here's a map of the dungeon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the different rooms that the players don't know is going to happen or whatever. And so, like, it's fine because they're like, okay, well, we've got a map. And then that way you can have the all of the 3D printed or, or, or Dwarven Forge or whatever, like, terrain that you have crafted out on the table ready to go. Um, but, look, to get through the Sunless Citadel, it's a couple of sessions. So are you going to leave that thing set up for, yeah. like, a few weeks or something? Everybody comes you know? back. And see, there's overdoing terrain, and then what I fall into is underdoing terrain sometimes, which is like, oh, okay, I got to put together a thing. Okay, I got to 
I've got some moisturizer cream and a bottle of wet wipes, <laughs> and I got a box. I got a spoon. The spoon. The spoon's gonna be a wall, you know. And I fall into that trap all the time. I'm like, oh, I have a giant D6. It's three inches by three inches by three inches. That'll be a a computer. And it can actually. It helps people understand three dimensional space, but it doesn't immerse and it's fast because right. I can just right. take it off my shelf and throw it on the table. But at the same time, unlike what you did by printing out all that awesome stuff, which was a high investment, and you were worried that it had maybe a medium-level reward, I have low-investment, low-reward stuff that I do all the time. Um, Right. But... um, Yeah, that can definitely take away from the immersive experience when you're like, okay, well, how do we get on this stapler and fly it out of this place? Yeah, this is the stapler. (laughs) On the other side, I mean, I've gotten a lot of use out of Star Wars models. I mean, the FFG models. I've spent a lot of money on models, yeah. but I do put them down on maps, and I'm like, okay, well, here this gigantic, you know, 13-inch vehicle I'm putting down, which is like a capital ship in the in the in like uh, X-wing. But in in terms of gameplay, it's like, okay, well, there's a cool-looking Star Wars ship right here, and you got to fight your way through it and take it over and. Um, and now you're on the outside of it running around and, and, and the bad guys are up on top and they're shooting down at you and that that's always great. And that, that's like, like you said, Dwarven Forge is expensive. Having a library of cool models is expensive. And I, what I would recommend to our listeners who want to get into it is just start small. If you want to do more three dimensional yeah. stuff, don't, don't go crazy. I mean, you don't print 700 tiles, just start out and say, okay, well, you know, I keep finding myself having to do uh, a, a map for a tavern. So just start with a right. tavern, right? Yeah. Or start with the keep or start with uh, the inside of your ship. And the inside of your spaceship can be a place where lots of stuff happens. You know, people can break in and they can hide in and there's lots of adventures that can happen inside a ship. And mix it up with 2D maps too. Don't feel like it all has yeah. to be one way or the other. Because th- the fact is, is... GMs that have, you know, a, a big palette to draw from are, are usually pulling from things that were brand new six, seven, eight, nine years ago. And nobody's, the, the group you're playing with today has never seen it because you're not playing with the same group you were playing with six years ago. Okay, so, you know, it's interesting. I, I think starting small, Dan, is the right move. I I think the idea of getting a bunch of 2D maps you know, a library of those, um, getting them printed out like on an 11 by 7 sheet even as a basic, being able to put that down in front of your players, I think that's key. You mean 11 and, by 17? Yeah, is that what I said? Yeah, or 11 by 7. Yeah. 11 by 17 is clutch. You can do a lot with 11 yeah. by 17. Yeah, exactly. 11 two, by 17. Two 8.5 by 11 pieces of paper next to each other. If you yep. print two of those things out, I was printing a lot of my own stuff for a long, long time, and that, I always started with that that size paper. Yeah, 11 by 17 is a great, great size because it's big enough that everybody on the table can see it, but it's not too big where you're spending like a fortune at Kinko's or something like that. Um, and uh, so, you know, go go print a bunch of those those types of maps out. And, and, and again, like, you know, if everybody finds themselves in a tavern. Everybody finds themselves in a dungeon at some point. Everybody finds themselves in a keep. Um, and obviously, if you're playing the D&D pre-printed books, there's a lot of maps in there and stuff that you could easily print out for your players. Um, with that said, let's get to 3D, right? One, if you one, other, start... one other quick yeah, thing about ahead. getting started. 
There are maps for games that people don't play anymore that you'll find on sale, right? Yeah. And some of those are miniature games, right? For instance, um, Wizards of the Coast used to do a Star Wars miniatures game. So they published all these very large poster size maps. And I never played competitively that game, but I collected as many of those maps I could get my hands on. Lots of other games will, you know, a game store will say, oh, nobody's playing this anymore, and they'll put stuff on sale. Pick it up if it's cheap, um, even if you don't have a direct use for it. And and that's a great way to build your library at three or four or five, six dollars a pop. Sorry, I just yeah. Wanted, that's, no, that's that's what I what I did great. in order to 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 uh, deepen my bench of different options to have. So I remember at Gen Con, we ended up playing one of my least favorite games I've ever played, and it was the Firefight or Firefly, um, like skirmish mini game. game. Yeah, miniatures game. You remember yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now the interesting thing about that is that they had. 3d terrain that was relatively simple for that board right they were just basically like cardboard squares that looked like shipping containers Mm -hmm. yeah and you had they had doors that you could go in and out and like it matched up with the squares on the board and all that stuff and um it's like it's almost like if you took the clue board and made 3d wall like cardboard Mm -hmm. walls like that's kind of what it looked like right um and look that I mean that provided some immersion because you could go in a, in the building, you can hide around a corner, like that that like those simple things. And and there's lots of companies out there that sell this uh, kind of card terrain or paper terrain that uh, is relatively cheap to get into. And in fact, Dragonlock um, is uh, or the the what is it? Is it Dragonlock is a company? Um, the company that makes the Dragonlock terrain. Um, I'm, I'm going to look it up real quick because I'm going to forget about it. Um, they uh, also have a whole paper craft. Um, yeah, it's called Dragonlock. Uh, they have a whole paper craft uh, terrain model stuff. And you can get, you can buy them. I mean, there's like 3D fantasy paper. And basically it's plans on how to like make your own terrain out of cardstock. And you can print the terrain on the cardstock, and then it's like fold here, cut here, like glue here, and then all of a sudden you've got easy terrain, easy dungeons that are like simple to put together and pop up on your table from from cardstock. Yeah, it's Fat Dragon Games. Fat Dragon Games. Thank you so much. Miles sci-fi and fantasy. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) They have sci-fi. He was giving information. I was quipping. I'm sorry. That's okay. (laughs) They have uh yeah, so they have fantasy and um and sci fi. I'll say their sci fi stuff is a little um a toyish in my opinion. Yeah, versus some of the toy stuff can be good. If you repaint it, it can be super awesome. Um HeroScape, if you find that at a uh like a garage sale, somebody's getting you know, because that was sold at Toys R Us. You know, that stuff can be fun to use. It, it works right. great in D&D. Um, sometimes um, train miniatures are close to the right scale, depending on the scale of minis you're using. And you might find certain hobby stores that are, are deal with a more commercial market will sometimes offload stuff or mark things down. Um, and that's that's one way if you want to build up kind of some rigid terrain in a box that you, that you think might have a great use. 
Sometimes you can take something that looks like small town USA, you know, add some sculpting, add some sculpting clay and a coat of primer and some paint, and suddenly you're in a fantasy setting. Yeah, train um, train terrain is great for trees. Yes. You can grab lots of easy trees that kind of work at any scale from uh, train hobby stores yeah. or Hobby mm-hmm. Bobby or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. So go ahead. So that's where I mean, you know, I would say check out maps first. Look at papercraft terrain. I mean, there's there's so much out there. There's probably a ton of YouTube videos as well that you could like find on how to build your own. You know terrain um i think the key is is that you find the ones that like are that you can print on an eight and a half by 11 at your house and then it tells you like where to fold and what what to do so that it's like looks like actual printed terrain instead of you like coloring on it with a crayon or something like that yeah. you know and and, and and a thick cardstock <laughs> is not that hard to get a hold of and you don't have no, to buy no, a whole ream you right. can buy you know 100 sheets of a, of a high a high weight cardstock will work in an inkjet printer or a laser printer just fine and before you yeah. know it you know, you're you're you've got a little city happening. Etsy's yeah. another good place if you go to Etsy and look for like two D terrain. There's lots yep. of options of people that are kind of home making mats and and different things for you. And so yeah, you go to Etsy. I'm sure there's stuff on eBay as well. Um, I would say from there, like you can graduate to pre-made um, terrain. So I'm talking like Games Workshop style terrain that you could buy, or like FFG's got terrain stuff, you know, like from companies that you could buy. And again, Etsy's got some of this like 3D printed terrain that you can that you can get. Um, that's going to generally be a little bit more expensive. And I can tell you personally, after having bought a whole bunch of uh, terrain from Games Workshop and Amazon and stuff like that, that uh, it's not cheap. But it looks really, really good. Like it looks really, really good because it is, you know, plastic injected mold, um, and you know, it, you don't have the lines from 3D printing and stuff like that. Again, that's a little bit more expensive. Now, if you want to graduate from that, in my opinion, that's when you you're getting your own 3D printer and you are printing your own terrain to make your stuff. Um, and the reason why I think that it um is graduated from just buying it from games workshop is because it's the time invested um to actually 3d print your own stuff well you can i would say there's one in between and that is that there are people who will 3d print uh as a service oh that's that's true so you can you can actually give you could buy the stls off of uh printablescenery.com which makes amazing terrain they do terrain and you, you can um there are people on etsy that will print uh, for a price for you, which I found is, is still cheaper than buying from like retail, like GW. Yeah. But um, you know, I think GW you pay you pay a premium for GW and Simon and uh, uh, Fantasy Flight because you're getting a high quality sculpt that has a QA associated with it. Right. Um, but you know, I think that uh. I think that you could pay someone to 3D print if you wanted as another intermediate if you were looking for the next step, but you didn't want to pay, you know, 200-some dollars for a box or something. Might yeah. be an option. Yeah, def- definitely keep an eye on what games are recently going out of print. And if the if it's a 3D game that also has terrain, um, you can get miniatures real cheap for role-playing games, and sometimes you can get, if it's a box set of a game that, nobody likes anymore or, or didn't take off or a kickstarter that no longer has juice you can uh, you can stretch your dollar out 
and um, add high quality and low dollar at the same time. So you just have to be kind of always be sniffing out for, uh, <laughs> you have to be sniffing out and looking for failure. <laughs> You're like, oh, <laughs> which game is no longer uh, in print? Which game just recently went out of print? Yeah. Uh, this is a little morose uh, to pick pick meat off the bones of dead games. But um, it, it happens to work really great if you go to a game store where they have like a, um, uh, a bin where they're you know they've marked everything down or if you're at a convention and and folks ha- are marking things down just to move it off their shelves uh, it can be can be pretty cool yeah absolutely uh, I think there's lots of options for you to go I think the bigger questions isn't so much like how much it is um, or even how, even how long it can take you to get into you know setting this stuff up it the really the big question is 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 having terrain going to slow you down slow your game down is terrain do you have the space for the terrain on your on both on your table and your shelves and um is the terrain gonna is it gonna be worth it like is the is the setup and the you know the time to like get everything going and playing with it is it going to be a hindrance to your game or like you, you know like it, it, it's the bang for the buck right is does the equation work out are you going to find that your terrain drives your story development because you got to use that piece that you bought right is that a good thing i don't know if that's a good thing i don't i i don't think it is um i I think generally that's not a good thing. I think I look at the shelf and I think uh, I really want to get that on the table. So let's find a way to get that on the table. Whereas, you know, I'm not focusing more on the story that allows the freedom of play of the characters to develop and develop the world around them. But uh, I think like any, any game, especially with role playing games, uh, a savvy GM can find a way to work uh, terrain in without breaking the story or without feeling like you're railroading. Yeah. But if you are not careful, all things we get excited about, our excitement for the terrain may drive the terrain uh, controlling the story a little bit. You just want to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Like it, It's so easy to be like, I, d- I put in all of this money, and by gosh, we're going to play that. So we know? had a... We had, I mean, uh, non-terrain related, but the same kind of thing. We had a buddy um, who used to play uh, Nurgle, <clears throat> and he painted this amazing, like, Nurgle monster. It's like a three-story Nurgle monster thing. Yeah. It was beautiful. And he, I remember one point he told me, he's like, this isn't the best model to put into an army for the rules, but I can't not bring it because of so much <laughs> right. effort I put into it. Right. And he didn't, he didn't always bring it, but I'll tell you, I saw that, I saw that thing a lot. Yeah. Um, and it was so fun to play, but, uh, but it's a good point that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we can be driven too much by the tangible things versus kind of the, the creativity of our minds as we play these games. So just something to watch out for. Definitely. Definitely agreed. Yeah. No. And, um, it, it doesn't hurt if you've collected two or three things and you're like, well, this session could go maybe three ways and I've got three different things I've. I want to use. I'll probably only use one. That can be a, a, a great way to kind of, you know, a split split that baby in in three ways. It could be cool. Know your players too, because I mean, yeah. if your players show up one day and you got this awesome like swamp wood rickety like house thing in the middle, they might think, "All right, let's go explore that. It looks fun." Right. 
Yeah, right. Just know your players. Yeah, and some players will be like, so this is what we have to do tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. or or they'll be like, so the GM obviously wants us to do that, so we're not going to. Not yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. He's in, like, you're not invited way. back, you jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a thing. So I, I want to talk about one, like, a different facet of this really briefly. Um, we talked about gaming terrain for RPGs. We did not talk about gaming terrain in board games, um, and which is, I think, an interesting idea because board games are generally fixed games, right? You generally know what you're getting. And so I bring this up because we have a mutual friend who um, did a whole bunch of 3D prints for the Settlers of Catan tiles. Okay, so like if it was grasslands, it looked like little grasslands. If it was like the clay ones, and they have like little bricks of clay on there, right? If it was like stone, they have like stone, it looked like a stone quarry type of thing that you um, that was on the tile. And you could print them out and you could paint them the colors that they were in the game and play with that as uh, as the tiles instead of the flat 2D looking ones. So what do you think about having gaming terrain in in board games look i think it's i think it gets back to something we said earlier right board games have a much stricter rule set yes than role-playing games that those rules can be accomplished with 3d terrain they can be accomplished with 2d picture terrain they can be accomplished with cards they don't need the 3d terrain i think what the 3d terrain adds to a board game is just a little bit more immersion because right. you can achieve as as the you know hundreds of thousands of board games that have come before have shown you can have a 2D board that has terrain in it that still allows you to obey the rules of the board game. Yeah, I mean I think about cr- the Curse City box that I have, right? Um you've got the 2D map tiles that are all over the place. But I think it would be really cool if I could have some 3D printed doors that you could get through. But I think that's the key is it's cool. It yeah, doesn't oh, change totally. the game. Right? It's all about it's all about the cool, the immersion, and you know, Hero Quest was a great game, right? It's yeah. Hero Quest is like a like a Curse City, like you know, early uh, like a um, uh, what's the one that the game that Jim plays all the time that he loves? Uh, Descent. Descent. Yeah, yep. Descent. Yeah, but it was it had little paper craft yep. tables and paper craft treasure chests and closets and stuff like that. And it, it really set that game apart from a lot of other games because you'd lay this thing on the table and you'd see stuff pop up out of the board. It didn't change the rules. You could still play the game without those things yep. as yep. long as you had some sort of 2D representation. But it made the game way more cool, right. to, to quote. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan. Anytime you can take a, a board game and take it from 2D to 3D, it's always fun for me. I'm a big fan. I, I, I never totally. get sick of it. Like, I took Star Wars Out of Rim, which is a smuggler's game, and I took all the little cardboard pieces that sit on little plastic stands, and I swapped them all out with Wizards of the Coast Star Wars minis. I had a pretty good collection, and I pretty much took care of it before I knew it. I wasn't replacing the eight main characters. I was replacing all 50 of the NPCs, too. There are the main right. NPCs that you can move or that you can find, and then there are other NPCs in the deck, and I'm like... Well, I need a mini for that guy too. And before I knew it, I had this gigantic menagerie <laughs> of, of minis. Nice. And it makes the game more interesting. Um, it yeah. makes it more fun. And I, I, I like it. It's more clumsy. There's more steps. There's more things on the table. But I, I'm kind of, I kind of like it. Yeah. Is it? 
Uh, well, sorry, I was going to say, is it really that much more clumsy, though, with a board game? Because I, I don't agree. Like, I, I think in an RPG where, like, players are making decisions to go left or right or up or down or whatever, like, that that can make it really clumsy oh, because yeah. you have planned a certain way and they're not going that way or you, you know, I mean, like, it takes time to kind of set it up because of Fog of War. But, again, with, like, you know, uh, a Catan or, or doorways in Cursed City or something like that, it really doesn't take that much more time to no, put no, a no. 3D printed door versus a cardboard, cardboard door. A cardboard door, it's, right? It's the, when the time. You're, what I meant is it's when you're adding to it, right? Sure. Like, for instance, in the outer, I'm going to take outer rim for an exa- as the example. You would just be moving your cardboard piece vertically on a little plastic base all around the galaxy. Yeah. Well, I've thrown in all these minis. You're moving your whole team together from planet to planet. It's oh, like, yeah, I got gotcha. hey, yeah. And Chewie and a droid and Maz Kanata. And we're all going together, you know. So sometimes right. if you're introducing more components than the game is designed to have, just know you're just doing that and, and just embrace it if, if that's what you want. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, the, the cons of, I, I think, 3D board game terrain are one you've got a storage issue again right because a lot of these games are like what like two inch boxes three inch boxes maybe and they're packed and so like how are you going to fit in that 3d terrain Mm. into that box uh you may have to get a a new storage system for it um so that's that's the problem one uh two it can be expensive obviously to kit out your thing it's with raise you know, the price of the game yeah yeah gonna raise the price of the game and you so have to love the game enough to know that you're gonna play it a bunch of times with your friends who will also love the game right uh, which is not the same thing as making doing a whole bunch of stuff for a game and then pitching it to your friends and they're like uh can we do something else right yep and the third one is that um it takes time right like it's gonna be a time eater like i mean if you're printing it out and then painting it, right? Because you just don't want gray plastic doors. Like you're actually going to try to paint them like stone doors or whatever you're going to do. Um, you know, it's going to take it's going to take time. But is the payoff worth it? And I think for like depending on the game, I think the payoff is much greater in a board game than it is an RPG game, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I've you know we we all played a, a game of of scythe where the guy went through and took every component and every miniature and and meticulously painted everything every bucket of ore or you know set of wood had been meticulously painted and it, it improved improved the game and improved it was I, I, it, more fun is the wrong word. I think more interesting, uh, more it was more engaging. I think we've used the word immersive a lot, and that works. But I think um, engaging is probably a slightly better term for board games than than an RPG. I think there's a cute factor too. Cute factor. It's like it's, cute factor. It's so yeah, because it's because li- it's little. It's little. It's cute. It's little. Yeah. <laughs> I have my wife playing Scythe. Oh yeah! Oh, look at that little look at that little log. Look at that little mech. Look at that so little mech. Cute. He's so adorable. Look at that little mech trying to trying to take over that territory. It's so yeah. cute. He's just trying to chop down some trees to bring the wood home, keep the family warm. <laughs> we didn't even talk about buying neoprene boards for board games, and that that 
That's oh, its yeah. whole magical thing. It's like, oh, I, yeah. cardboard isn't good enough for me. I need a three by three neoprene yeah. mat. And uh, I've, I've well, I've and I was going to suggest that I was I was going to suggest that for like if you if you've got a part of your um, uh, campaign that like you're you know they're doing some overland travel or something like that. If you've got like a like for example, Jason and I have a Warhammer Age of Sigmar mat that's like grasslands, right? And like, if you know that you're gonna spend a significant amount of time out of time, or like out of the city or whatever, just throw that mat down on the table. The whole thing, right? It's gonna cover the whole table, but at least kind of gives you a little. Like, if you're gonna throw minis up there, at least like they're out in the grasslands or something like that. So, table mats can provide some some kind of quote unquote terrain as well, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So much of the same. They provide a lot of the same stuff we talked about before. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think we have talked this one to death. Um, for our listeners, I hope you guys uh, think about getting terrain. I love terrain. I mean, I'm looking at a whole crap ton of it right now on my desk <laughs> that's staring at me that needs to be painted. I got a whole bunch of dry brushing to do. Um, and But, you know, I love it. I, I love having the terrain, and um, especially, you know, obviously we didn't talk about the war, war game, skirmish game stuff because that wasn't the topic. But being having that war game terrain stuff and being able to use it in RPGs, like it's great because I do have it on hand and I have a storage plan for it. Um, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be really good. So I have one quick tip. Yeah. Quick yeah. tip. A friend, one of those sets of terrain I was telling you about, it was white PLA, right? And they uh-huh. were girders and stuff like that. And they made a, a three-dimensional platforms and, and bridges and ladders and stuff. I took all that PLA, I took it outside, I bought six bucks worth of gunmetal gray spray paint and did one coat of spray paint. And now it is way more awesome. So sometimes you can take something that's very simple and do one quick treatment to it just to give it that little bit of spice and you'll be surprised how much that adds to the, the flavor of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you know, us painted, painted stuff, tends to play better than unpainted stuff so you know every time every time yeah yeah so anyway thank you everybody for listening to us tonight we we kind of didn't we we didn't hit our normal time i'm I'm a little surprised we're not terribly far off we didn't hit an hour and a half uh one hour 26 minutes seems to be my sweet spot right jason I think it's 133. 133 <laughs> is my sweet spot. Quick, somebody yeah. cut them off while we're still young. Exactly. Uh, so good. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for listening tonight. If you've got some tips or tricks on what to do with gaming terrain, feel free to leave us a comment on our Facebook page and or Twitter. We love responses. We love interacting with uh, with the folks who uh, we're associated with. So leave us a response. Let us know what you think. Uh, and if you've got some tips on good uh, gaming terrain and where to get them, also let us know because we'd love to put that out to our community as well. So in the meantime, keep the dice rolling, and uh, you all have a good night. See you. Take care. Good night.